0: built this system of satellites to stop natural disasters.
1: To create them. A geostorm? A what? Simultaneous catastrophic weather events triggered all over the globe. What the hell happened? Here? One of our thermospheric satellites malfunctioned over Afghanistan. We've got reported extreme weather anomalies building over Brazil, Mexico, Bucharest, and Belgrade. There's over a thousand storm warnings issued around the world.
0: Someone sealed off the back door into the system. A back door almost no one knew existed. Are you a little bit curious to watch the world burn? Now to a dire warning about climate change. Experts say that we have until 2030 to avoid catastrophe. Scientists are already devising techniques to intervene in the Earth's natural systems. It's a field known as geoengineering. Nothing can stop our kids, the next generation, considering implementation. And if we have no research program, then they will implement with ignorance.
1: They said it was impossible, but we
0: pulled it off and it worked perfectly without fail day after day year after year so what do people do with it turn it into a gun
2: hello and welcome to scienceish i'm Rick Edwards joined as ever by Dr. Michael
1: Brooks Hello how are you? I'm alright thank you bit coldy bit fluy Sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, you know, it's how it goes, isn't it?
2: Nothing serious.
1: No, no, nothing no. serious. Not like what you get. Oh no,
2: mine's very serious. <laughs> do you know what's happening next week? Tell me. Going to get a uh, camera up into my bladder. Oh, you know... which
1: way are they going in? There's only one way, isn't there? <laughs> up through the old dick. <laughs> Um, so that's a general
2: anaesthetic, yeah? Uh, yeah, because it's it's a long, without you know, meaning to boast, it's a long old pipe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you can't,
2: you've got to go under general for Are you for like that.
1: borrowing some optical fibre from BT and stuff? Yeah, just BT. feed it up there,
2: <laughs> feed it up there, lads. <laughs>
1: heave, heave. <laughs> I'm dreading it. I'm absolutely dreading it. Oh good, good.
2: Um so it's your uh, let's let's not talk about my bladder. <laughs>
1: or my urethra
2: please. It's Find your turn. Mate. What are we um what are we discussing?
1: So we are looking at the 2017 film GeoStorm.
2: Definitely saw the trailer in the cinema and was like no,
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> no thank you. So we start off and basically the world has gone to shit. Climate change has happened. There's massive catastrophic events have happened, and uh, and so they, what they've done is they've established a, a, a fleet of satellites that surround the Earth yeah. that can neutralise extreme weather events. Yeah, and these are controlled from a space station. Yeah, and basically the whole system is called Dutch Boy, as in boy puts his finger in the dike and you know averts disaster. Kind oh, of. Oh, nice. yeah, yeah. So so that's about the best thing about it, really. And um, and, and where are these satellites?
2: Are they above the atmosphere?
1: Oh, do you know, I can't remember. They're probably low Earth orbit. They must be like, low Earth orbit. They've got to be low Earth orbit. Yeah, they? yeah. And they're, they're sitting there dick. and they can fire lasers in and oh, yeah, nice. neutralize a tropical storm before it devastates a city, that How? kind of thing. That's not made clear. I don't think it's a kind of quite on the level of documentary as far as its science goes. But anyway, the idea is that obviously the U.S., sort of put this thing up there and he's about to hand it over to the rest of the world. Oh, thank you, Americans.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for saving us all. (laughs) Was that Dutch? No, that was just general.
1: Just general. General Pan European accent. Yeah, pan European. Just saying thank you. (laughs) and uh, and they're just about to hand it over to like you know the sort of UN equivalent, basically. Mm -hmm. So it'll be controlled by international governments.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it all starts to go wrong, and and things are you know cities are being targeted, things are being destroyed, and Gerard Butler basically has to go up and sort it all out because he started the whole thing off. Okay. But, I mean, the the point is, not that it's a great film, but it's actually got interesting things within it.
2: Yes, so I imagine that our question is going to be a
1: good one. What is it? Well, our question is very simple. Is geoengineering a good idea?
2: And It's nice and contentious, isn't it?
1: It is. I mean, you know, Mm. there's no easy answer to this. I would say, although you know, let's see where we get to by the end of this episode.
2: Have we pinned down an absolute don to guide us through?
1: Well, what you need with something like this is somebody who is sort of, you know, a professor of applied physics. Oh yeah. At the same time as being a professor of public policy. Oh. So there was only only, such a person. There was only one man we could go to, which is David Keith of Harvard University. Two first names. Yeah, um, he's been at the forefront of the of the geoengineering conversation for decades now. Anything you read references his work.
2: What did we um, open up the conversation with? What did we ask
1: him? Well, so we start with this term geoengineering, which covers a lot of ground, a lot of different sort of ways of implementing, uh, you know, ways of shifting climate. Mm. But his expertise is in an area called solar radiation modification, or SRM. So that's kind of where we went in.
0: The meaning of geoengineering keeps shifting, but what has always been true is that in practice, geoengineering refers to stuff that scares people, that people don't like, that's outside the mainstream of the way we respond to climate change. I think it's really a a, a kind of useless term. Uh, I do think a lot about solar geoengineering or or solar radiation uh, modification. That's the idea that humans might deliberately alter the Earth's reflectivity by some means, for example, putting aerosol particles in the upper atmosphere as a way to offset some of the risks of accumulated carbon dioxide. So geoengineering often refers to two things which I think are more or less unrelated. One of them is solar geoengineering or solar radiation modification. Uh, I think there's actually a coherent set of things under that. They're all tightly related. There's You can do clouds or aerosols or whatever, but all of them share a huge commonality of science and public policy. Then there's a bunch of ideas about removing carbon. They actually share less among each other, but there's no real relationship between those and solar geoengineering, except that they're all part of the broad set of things we might do about climate change, which of course includes cutting emissions and suffering and so on. Aid agencies are struggling to get help to millions of people affected by
2: devastating floods across South Asia. More than 1,200 people are believed to have died. It's thought to be the worst monsoon season in decades.
0: Pakistan has declared a state of emergency in the midst of a crushing heat wave that has already killed 800 people.
2: At least 60 people have been killed and more than 100 injured in the worst wildfires to
0: hit Greece in more than a decade. Nothing we know about solar geoengineering gets us out of the need to cut emissions. If you want a stable climate, you have to cut emissions eventually to zero. The very best thing that can be said about solar geoengineering is that it is possible that a combination of cutting emissions and solar geoengineering is less risky than just cutting emissions. But we have to cut emissions. And at this point, we don't know whether solar geoengineering makes sense or not. So would a person on the ground be able to tell if if solar geoengineering was happening? I think the answer is generally no. Assuming that solar geoengineering was used in the way that I and most other people sort of consider that as it's used as a supplement to emissions cuts where we do a relatively small amount of it to take the, the peak of the heat off this century while we cut emissions, then the amount that would be done would be too small for for really anybody to notice in their everyday life there'd be nothing to see by looking up at the sky unless you had sort of sophisticated instruments and there'd be nothing that you'd notice differently on the ground um, It's simply that 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 in a world where you did it compared to a world where you didn't uh, uh uh climate change would be slightly less in the world that you did it but you have no objective way to determine that as an individual
2: so i guess listening to david speak there He's taking it very much as a as a given that we are we're in a bit of a tight spot. What is the current situation?
1: We have burned all these fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have created a lot of carbon dioxide, which has basically created a blanket around the Earth, mm-hmm. uh, which has caused us to warm the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, we've warmed the planet by one degree Celsius Mm -hmm. above, you know, pre-industrial levels before we started doing all this. Mm -hmm. And we have realized that if we just let this carry on, actually, it's going to be catastrophic. Because in a warmer world, you get species being destroyed, you get sea level rises, you get extreme weather events, you know, literally just warming the oceans makes Mm -hmm. it more likely you'll have tropical storms and cyclones. And, uh, you know, these appalling things, heat waves, you get Terrible, terrible effects. Mm-hmm. Plus, you get this situation where species start to move around the earth or, or go extinct. You get pressure on water resources. So if we, if we allow it to warm by two degrees, uh, the estimate is that water stress, like people who, who haven't got enough water to basically live their lives, goes up by 50%. So we're going to hit one5 degrees in the isn't 2020s. That the,
2: isn't that the target the UN's climate change panel have set, 1.5?
1: So, yeah, it used to be of, 2 degrees. In fact, yeah. back in 2010, they said, oh, you know, we've got to aim to limit it at 2 degrees. But uh, 2018, last year, uh, the the basic, the agreement was, no, we've got to limit to 1.5 degrees. Yeah. And we've got to make sure that we've hit that by 2030. So we've got 12 years.
2: And the bottom line, like outside of geoengineering, is we have to, as David said, we have to reduce emissions yeah. to zero. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the ultimate aim. We have to, to, to stop happen. burning fossil
1: fuels. I yeah. mean we certainly have to stop extracting them from the ground. I mean it's been made very clear that we already have enough fossil fuels Extracted and ready to go, ready to burn. Effectively, yeah. that will take us beyond those limits. So we've got to stop doing this. Yeah. But at the same time, you've got to be aware that you know historically, it's very clear that we're not very good at stopping doing this stuff. Mm. And and so you know maybe there are other measures that that you know we want to kind of um, look at.
2: So it used to be two degrees, now it's down to one point five degrees. My understanding of it is that that is essentially an arbitrary figure. It's not that. You go to 1.6, and suddenly it's catastrophic. It's just no. we needed to set. You've a got to target. pick a number. I mean, yeah.
1: effectively, you've got to pick yeah. a number. And when we picked two degrees, that wasn't really the right number to pick. 1.5 is 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 the probably the best we can do. You know, that's a very optimistic scenario in some mm. ways. So we picked picked one, but but it's entirely arbitrary in that we don't know that 1.5 will do it. We don't know that yeah, we haven't already. Mean set some things in motion that we won't be able to stop. So these so-called tipping points, you know, we've got Arctic tundra that are melting, releasing methane that's sort of trapped under there. And it might well be that, you know, you release a certain amount of that and all of a sudden you've got a massive sort of feedback cycle happen and sort of spiraled out of control. So so 1.5 degrees is something to aim for. It doesn't mean that... It doesn't guarantee that everything's going to be fine, does it? No, no, keep the receipt. There's no question that unless we do something to sort of mitigate the warming then actually we are going to be in big trouble
2: everyone was warned but no one listened a rise in temperature ocean patterns changed and ice caps melted they called it extreme weather they didn't know what extreme was in the year of 2019 hurricanes tornadoes Floods
0: and droughts unleashed a wave of destruction upon our planet. We didn't just lose towns or
2: beachfronts. We lost entire cities. So David's point was that these geoengineering technologies that, that he's interested in are not, by any means, they're not like a silver bullet to stop climate change. What they can do is be very useful if they're working alongside big reductions in emissions.
1: Yeah, yeah. Although they might also be incredibly dangerous in terms of... As in the film. Yeah, yeah. As in, you know, you're messing with something that that you really don't want to mess with very directly.
2: How long have we been talking about this stuff for? A (laughs) while, isn't it? So
1: amazingly, there's a record of um, Lyndon Johnson in the 60s? In the 1960s. So 1965, he basically addressed the issue of climate change. Mm-hmm. And he had advisors who were suggesting that we use technology to counter the effects of climate change. To geoengineering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, basically, there's two branches of this. So you've got this thing, solar radiation modification, which basically means you, you, know, you kind of try and limit the amount of heat that the Earth is absorbing. That you know, because we've got this blanket effect from the carbon dioxide, then you, you sort of try and stop the solar radiation heating us up.
2: And so, is that by um, us effectively reflecting more? Yeah, there's, there's various less? means, and we'll, yeah. we'll
1: get into you know what what the kind of yeah. technologies are. The other branch of this is that you you just remove the greenhouse gases yeah from the atmosphere so you take carbon dioxide and methane whatever's there mm-hmm. and you just get rid of it so you, you basically you know get rid it of just that like
2: carbon sink
1: yeah yeah, yeah. um so the, so those are the two things you can do and and we've been talking about them like I say for 50 years now we haven't really done either of them Certainly, you know, we've messed about with a, a couple of ideas, but we've not really done anything.
2: If only there was something, something in the world that could take in carbon dioxide. If only. <laughs> if only. I mean, get in touch with the show if you can think of anything, <laughs> anything that takes in carbon oh, dioxide. It'd be so oh. handy. Anyway, so Maybe the a solution is staring us in the face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay,
2: so let's start with these
1: reflecting heat models. Yeah. So the idea is, and this has been around a long time as well, the idea is that, you can kind of do things like even just painting roofs once. white. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you did that in all the urban areas, mm-hmm. and you used lighter colored concrete, even you automatically reflect away a lot of this sort of radiation back into the atmosphere and mm-hmm. uh, or back beyond. You know, and you also have the, the double effect. So it's a win-win because your house is cooler. Yeah. So <laughs> So you don't need to use so much air conditioning. So there's been something like if you did every urban area in the world, painted all the roofs white, it would be the equivalent of taking all of the world's cars off the road for 18 years or something like that. Something ludicrously, ridiculously big.
2: So why don't we do something like that then? That feels really straightforward. You it just does, have, you it? just, yeah. you get in contact with all the local councils, all the local governments, and you, mandate and you just that, say, yeah. look, everyone's just got to paint their, their roof white.
1: That's all. Nothing yeah, else. I mean, just paint your roof white. No, It yeah. hasn't really happened yet. Yeah. Another way of doing it is to make clouds brighter. I mean, this sounds a bit ridiculous. What you do is you pump seawater onto the top of clouds and so that you whiten the tops of clouds so that they reflect more of the of the solar radiation that's coming in. So before it even gets anywhere near Earth, you know, the so clouds So just are getting a
2: it. massive hose, popping <laughs> yeah. it in the sea, yeah. and then spraying up onto the top of clouds. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I like it. Yeah, I mean... It uh, sounds mental, but I like it. Or you could build a load of satellites that are... Yeah, you know, just reflecting the solar radiation. So you, you kind of cover, blanket the massive earth in, in mirrors, Massive mirrors. And just reflect it back. Those mirrors are going to have to be huge though, aren't they? Yeah, it seems like a good idea, um, doesn't it? I can't imagine how many you're actually going to need for that.
2: And presumably, like areas of the Earth are going to be plunged into darkness when they're underneath. <laughs> yeah, the well, there's
1: a whole geopolitical aspect to this, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, where are like,
2: you going to stick these huge yeah, mirrors? Yeah. Oh, anywhere's fine. Maybe, um, maybe not over the UK. <laughs> I think probably not over America. Yeah, yeah. Who's poor? <laughs> yeah, because that's what you do. You'd pay. You'd pay a poor country to say Cornet will have the mirrors. Yes, you would. Oh, it's an absolute nightmare. Yeah, anyway. It's horrible.
1: So um, what David is doing, he is looking into spraying aerosols into the upper atmosphere, and these aerosols would basically reflect some of the sun's heat. And it's the sort of, you know, we talked in uh, Dante's Peak about, you know, you get... All the ash goes into the atmosphere. Lovely callback. yeah. Yeah, the, the world just Cools becomes down. cooler. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same kind of effect. Okay. So that's the kind of thing that he's sort of suggesting we look at. He's not yet suggesting we do it, but he's suggesting we look at it.
2: But this stuff is quite controversial, isn't it? Like, can we be sure that it's going to just have the desired effect and not interfere with other systems?
1: Well, with all of these technologies, it's kind of theoretical at the moment. So what David is trying to do is actually do a proper experiment So at least look oh, good at good for David. Yeah, well, somebody's got to at some point yeah. actually try this out. So, so he's basically doing one of the earliest experiments to try and get a clearer picture of how particles will react. And then his are going up all the way into the stratosphere.
0: Oh, are they now? So understanding the risks and potential efficacy of solar streamer depends ultimately on you know, models of the way the atmosphere works, on, on climate models. But those climate models, in turn, depend on a bunch of what we call parameterizations, a bunch of estimates of the way particular things in the atmosphere interact. And those are always wrong. We never know them exactly. And the only way to improve that knowledge is to go out in the atmosphere or in the lab and do experiments. So we, in our group and other groups around the world, do laboratory experiments, and we're doing some that are relevant to understanding uh, solar geoengineering. We're also developing a field experiment that would uh, uh, allow us to improve the knowledge of, say, how some aerosols in the stratosphere happen to interact with each other. The most common idea for the way that solar geoengineering in the stratosphere might work is the idea of adding sulfuric acid or, or sulfate aerosols. The one big advantage of this is this is something we've observed nature do. Big, big volcanoes do this. And so we actually know something about what the risks might be. And we certainly know that it, it can cool the world down and, and compensate some of climate change. But we've wondered a lot about alternative aerosols. And the one that we thought about is calcium carbonate or limestone and uh, turns out, potentially, to have the advantage that it does uh, uh, much less in the way of warming the lower stratosphere, which is a big problem with, with sulfates, and it also tends to actually restore the ozone layer instead of further damaging it. But all that depends on estimates of the way chemicals in the stratosphere, uh, like hydrochloric acid, which comes ultimately from humans putting their, their pollution in there, how that interacts with, say, calcite in the stratosphere, and we don't know that well enough, so we have laboratory experiments to go after that problem. Scopex, or the Stratospheric Controlled Perturbation Experiment, is a stratospheric balloon with a gondola that our group is building, Professor Frank Koich and and myself. And what that balloon would do is it will release very small amounts, so half a kilogram or something of something like calcium carbonate, where we want to understand its interaction with stratospheric chemistry, and it will release it into the wake of the propellers from the balloon, which make a kind of well-mixed volume, which is like the experimental beaker. That beaker is maybe a kilometer too long and 100 meters in diameter. And the idea is that we can then re-enter that beaker with the balloon gondola and measure the way that aerosols stick to each other and the way they interact with the background gas. And the purpose of this is not to see whether we can cool the planet. That's r- ridiculous. And indeed, there's actually no doubt that aerosols in the stratosphere cool the planet. The purpose of this is to improve our understanding of the way aerosols interact and of the way they interact with the stratospheric chemistry, which will in turn improve large-scale models that predict what the risks and and potential benefits of solar geoengineering are. For example, uh, it'll improve large-scale models of how much ozone might be uh, harmed or or benefited by, by something like putting calcite in the stratosphere. But this is, a, in that sense, a, a controlled experiment. It's not in any way proving whether or not solar geoengineering works. It's not the test of a system ready for deployment because no one thinks about deploying from balloons that makes no sense it's really a, an experiment designed to answer questions which improve our knowledge about solar geoengineering.
2: so david's gonna whack up a balloon into the stratosphere release a very small amount of calcium carbonate and calcium carbonate is just limestone yeah then measure how those particles are dispersing and interacting with the existing stratosphere yeah. chemistry
1: yeah see if there's any changes that we should be right. aware of i mean the idea is to be cautious about this and well, just sort of
2: I- i'm all for that i'm very <laughs> happy that he's <laughs> yeah, doing it
1: yeah, yeah i'm not
2: just saying okay well, yeah we're gonna send up um let's send out a few billion tons and uh, see what
1: happens yeah yeah no absolutely and uh, why so- the stratosphere because if you just put it into the atmosphere, the bottom part of, mm-hmm. of you know, the, the stuff above us, yeah. it will just fall out quite quickly. It'll be, it'll yeah. be you know, literally just, uh, I think it's like a couple of weeks or something. But if you put it into the stratosphere, which is much higher up, yeah. the stratosphere is like 20 kilometers up. Mm-hmm. It actually will then just stay up there and it will circulate around for a couple of years. And the idea was, you know, it would basically diffuse around and make a make a nice blanket up there. And, yeah. and stay, you know, which would be great.
2: So this solar radiation modification is one way that we could potentially cool the planet, yes, uh, and mitigate the effects of climate change. But obviously, what it isn't doing is reducing the amount of carbon dioxide already in the atmosphere.
1: No, that no, it doesn't change that in no, the slightest. No, so there are ways of pulling carbon dioxide at least out of the atmosphere. Mm. As we add more and more to it, at least we could start to take some away. So, so we actually do need to, to remove a lot. Because if we're, even just keep it to two degrees of warming, we need to take out 20 billion tons of carbon dioxide wow. every year by 2100. What
2: about, and I touched on this before, just planting a load of trees?
1: I mean, that's so old school. I mean, there's, I like no, it there's no technology involved. It's been working, isn't it? I know, I know. We, I mean, we deforest a lot. We need to do some afforestation. So we need—is that what it's called? Yeah. Why is it not just called forestation? <laughs> I don't know because maybe when you like have no forests, then it's just forestation. But if you're like adding to existing forests, isn't it afforestation?
2: Mm, I'm not convinced by that. No, but whatever. No, no, anyway. If you say it's called afforestation, I'm I mean, sure it is. But it should is, just be this, forestation. I mean, it's
1: not. A, it's not really a podcast about language, is it? So uh, yet. semantics when we get desperate (laughs) (laughs) so you know what we have is globally we have natural plants already soak up about a third of our emissions Uh, so it's not bad but then you sort of think oh right we'll just plant more of them but that's you know land use issues there aren't there again it's like who gets to plant them where do they have to be planted who's using their land for forestation rather than agriculture
2: yeah I was going to say it's all it's all driven by commercial interests isn't it yeah so you've got to somehow persuade people that rather than deforestation they should be planting stuff and then not harvesting yeah yeah
1: yeah and not eating yeah yeah actually not an easy sell (laughs) (laughs) so you know this is why we try and use technology so the idea is you come in and you say okay we can you know we can scrub the carbon dioxide from our power station chimneys for instance and we can you know before
2: carbon capture yeah carbon
1: capture so the idea is that we can do this. Actually, the technology is sort of expensive. It's really expensive. Yeah, and it's hard when you're, you know, when your entire sort of electricity model is driven by profit mm. and capitalist corporations, basically making money out of generating electricity and then selling it. To so then impose on them this technology that has to be. Implemented and is expensive to implement. It's very difficult. It doesn't really oh, yeah. fit with the free market model very well. Mm-hmm. And then, you, so you can grab the the carbon anyway. Then what do you do with it? Well, you have to put it somewhere, don't you? So, uh, you let you, me have a guess. Effectively, like a carbon dioxide landfill <laughs> underground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> exactly. So you sort of look for these geological structures where you can just pump. The yeah. carbon dioxide in, stay down, seal it up, and the hope that, like, there's no seismic shift or anything that suddenly releases a billion tons of carbon dioxide into the air in, in a day. You've got various underground structures that people are trying to look at and say, oh, this would be a good place to put it all. And, you know, you can put it in places where you've extracted oil on the seabed. You can pump carbon dioxide down there and seal it up. But can, it, it's can you all- not
2: like turn the carbon dioxide into
1: fuel or other stuff. So so the idea is that possibly you can do something like this. You can actually create synthetic fuels yeah. from carbon dioxide. Again, that would be sweet. It would be sweet. It takes energy though, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, you can get literally machines that will scrub the carbon dioxide out of the air. Mm-hmm. You know, just pull it out. But it's energy hungry, which yeah. again, you have to feed that by obviously renewable energy otherwise Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've got a diesel generator here. (laughs) (laughs) And it's scrubbing out the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. It's brilliant.
2: Yeah. With all of these things, it's not just that they sound very difficult but presumably they're all incredibly expensive and where's the money coming from
1: well I mean that's the big question for most of them I mean the thing that David's actually involved with the idea of like firing calcium carbonate into the strategy the, the SRM stuff, yeah that's yeah. a couple of billion dollars a year I don't think it's oh, that that's expensive. an absolute snip yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's a steal fine but um, most of them yes are really logistically difficult and ridiculously expensive solutions and so people were like oh let's just wait and see if we really need to do this so it's for easier now, to do nothing. All right. yeah yeah, yeah. Presumably,
2: lots of people just think that we shouldn't be doing this at all anyway, like interfering with climate in
1: such a direct way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is something that we asked David about.
0: At this point, the choices about solar geoengineering are purely about research. Nobody sensible thinks we should actually implement. The choice really is, do we have a serious research program or not? And I think the way to think about it is, nothing can stop our kids, the next generation, considering implementation and if we have no research program then they will implement with ignorance and I think it's better to have a serious research program to inform them about their choices which might well be not to do it
2: so who are the yahoos
1: in Washington we going to deal with on this I guess I would be the head yahoo Max tells me you don't have a high opinion of politicians I didn't say that well, neither do I we went through hell getting the world on board for this program. We've come too far for it to fail. You and I both understand why we cannot let that happen. Yes, sir.
0: Any method of uh, solar geoengineering will, of course, have some uncertainties and, and some new physical risks. Current evidence suggests that, overall, those risks will be small compared to the benefits. It may not turn out to be true, but that's what the current evidence is. So, why are people, so many people, against even doing research on this topic? My sense is that's not about physical risks. It's the very well-founded fear that uh, publicity about solar geoengineering, or further research, will be exploited by forces that want to block emissions cuts, say by big oil companies or fossil rich nations, that will falsely claim that this early research means that we don't need to cut emissions, and use it as a kind of excuse to, to politically fight emissions cuts. I don't agree with that at all. I could not be more in favor of emissions cuts, and, and, and there's nothing about solar geoengineering that gets us out of the need to cut emissions. But the fear of that, which is often called moral hazard, is, I think, the central underlying concern. Fear that these technologies will be exploited by forces that want to block emissions cuts, who will make exaggerated claims about how well these things would work as they argue against climate policy. That fear is, I think, at the root of the people who really disagree with an expanded research program in solar geoengineering. Someone sealed off the back door into the system. A back door almost no one knew existed. But the president did. No. Jay, come on, what Are you out of your mind? I'm not saying it's him, I'm saying what if? Who else has the resources to pull this off? murder, cover-up, and a virus that can only be stopped with the codes in his pocket. Why? Uh, tell me, why? Why would he do that? We're two weeks away from transferring Dutch Boy to the rest of the world. Two weeks away from losing autonomous control. Now, he talks a good game, but he's never going to let it happen. A Series of disasters, an international crew to take the fall, and you will have to cancel the handoff. And who would blame him? Luckily, the methods of solar geoengineering, which we understand the best, uh, which are stratospheric aerosols, in a sense, kind of naturally want to be pretty global. And so while it's true that in principle, a a single country or a small group of countries might implement, it looks like they couldn't kind of keep all the benefits to themselves and and push the harms to others. It looks like in general, the benefits and harms are pretty evenly distributed, at least in most ways that it it might get done. And I think that uh, makes decision-making about implementation in some ways easier than it might otherwise be, although I still think it's going to be pretty hard.
2: Oh man. <laughs> so coarse, of course, of course, of course, it's just going to be the big oil companies just going, ah, Guys, everything's going to be okay. We've got the geoengineering. We can keep on burning all the fossil fuels. We can keep digging yeah, them up.
1: Absolutely fine, isn't
2: it? We've got these carbon capture things, and we've got some of this stuff that we spread up into the atmosphere. We're going to cool down and everyone relax. Buy another car. <laughs> <laughs> Buy a bigger car. Oh, shit. Yes. I, I, yes, I yeah. can see that.
1: You've got somebody, like David, sort of saying, you know... I think this might work and I think that might work and he's so aware that even just by saying it mm. he's giving all these people license to just not worry about emissions cuts you know and to keep digging more fossil fuels out of the earth and everything else so he's sort of on the horns of a dilemma really yeah. um but I mean this is this is the moral hazard problem and it's well known in the insurance industry if the if you give someone better brakes yeah they will drive more recklessly
2: in fairness just to uh put my um my devil's advocate hat on, and I know he's talking about doing research so that the next generation can think about implementation but yeah. if with this SRM stuff, this solar radiation uh, modification, you end up rapidly cooling the planet, that presumably has its own risks like that would not be a good thing
1: no no, you've got to do it in a measured way, and if you you know what happens if you turn it off you know the next government gets in and says no no, no, we're not going to do that anymore. And they, they just turn it off, and you've done just this rapid cooling, and then you, you just warm it up again. Yeah, there are certain species, yeah, you know, corals, amphibians, hugely sensitive to changes in in temperature. Pussies. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I mean, you and I would be fine. We just yeah. put a jumper on, yeah. take a jumper off, and that's that's sort of all right. Yeah. But actually, you know, there are there are species that would just find this catastrophic.
2: And presumably, you know, we have to accept that there might be unintended consequences that we just can't anticipate as well. so you might just see be like oh we didn't really um, yeah of course there's less rainfall now over here and you're suffering with drought
1: sorry yeah yeah, exactly I mean because the the weather is a chaotic system climate is a chaotic system so you can make small changes that have actually big effects down the line that you can't model or predict what the hell happened here? One of our thermospheric satellites malfunctioned over Afghanistan. A U.N. recon team found it, Mr. President. And the
2: members of the Climate Council, are aware?
1: Yes, and they've all agreed to keep the incident discreet, but with this many people in the loop, I'm not sure how long it's going to keep. This is a
2: serious malfunction.
1: So your proposal is what?
2: Simple. We shut down all Central Asian satellites
0: until we know what went wrong.
1: Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. you know how difficult it was to get every one of these nations online for this? We have worked extremely hard to assure these nations that this system will protect them, and it has. And let's not forget, people, it's an election year. We shut Dutch Boy down, press is going to jump all over this. Oh, my God. 300 people died in that village. We cost those people
2: their lives. The only thing we should be concerned about here is how to fix it and making sure it never happens again. That's really the biggest issue, isn't it? That you would have to do this with a global consensus because it's going to affect everyone and in different ways and you're just never, surely you're never going to reach that. And if there are negative consequences for certain areas, they're going to be absolutely fuming, and rightly so.
1: Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, you say and rightly so, but if you kind of just say, well, you know, let's do nothing, then that's going to be problematic for a lot of people. You know, If you're in the Maldives and everyone says, let's do nothing, and the Maldives is gone... And uh, I haven't even been there on holiday yet, so I'm not happy with that. Mm. So, um, you know, who gets to make these decisions? I mean, that's what it comes down to. And Russia, apparently, is really quite up for some geoengineering. Yeah. And But are we going to let them set the thermostat? It's like, how much, yeah. how much cooler is cool enough? You know, basically, you're going to spark global conflict if you're not careful.
2: It almost feels like the only way that this happens is if we get to, like, a sort of catastrophic point where globally everyone's just like, oh shit, like, this is really, really serious. We need to do something drastic. Let's let's start spraying the top of the clouds.
1: <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, David? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's what happened with the hole in the ozone layer, isn't it? Everyone mm. knew about it for decades. Yeah. And then they found the hole in the ozone layer. Actually, the big hole over Antarctica. Yeah. Everyone said, oh, we'll sign that treaty. Yeah. And it does seem like human decision makers need crisis before they actually act. Mm. But, you know, it's it's sort of an interesting thing. You've got to, at some point, make a decision about this. And and it may be that that geoengineering is the kind of lesser of two evils. Doing nothing, like I said, is not really an option. And and we've got to cut emissions. And if we're not cutting emissions, because that's too politically and economically difficult, maybe we do need to switch on the aerosol spray. Mm -hmm. And it might be that we look at the research and we look at the result of experiments like Scopex that he's doing Mm -hmm. and say, that's not really the way to go. But, you know, we've got the chance to kind of find out what this might do and how we might react to it and what the results might be. Let's at least look at it and make an informed decision. Yeah. Which I think is is where we're at right now.
2: So the situation we have is that geoengineering could potentially be very dangerous and might uh, produce unintended consequences, but with the kind of research that David is doing, hopefully we'll we'll get a handle on what the consequences may be it might prove essential if we're going to prevent sort of runaway climate change.
1: Yeah, so when we're answering our big question, is geoengineering a good idea, we're being really weaselly about this, aren't we? It's like, it's impossible to say. Clearly, doing
2: the research into geoengineering is a very good idea, and it would be mad not to do it. Yes. Whether we actually implement it or not, let's wait and see. Yeah,
1: and actually, I mean, researching for this episode has kind of changed my mind about geoengineering I was, what quite, was your take? I was quite sort of anti it just seemed like pie in the sky madness. And when you realise and you look into this and, and and the people aren't saying let's do this. They're saying let's at least be informed about mm. it. I think that's I think that's the right way to go about it.
2: And and you know, I, I guess that when you watch Geostorm that gives you a fairly sort of warped um <laughs> picture. <laughs> that's really
1: misselling geoengineering, isn't it?
2: Next week, Michael is once again trying to save the world, looking at the Pixar animation, Wall-E. Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producers were Cormac McAuliffe and Eli Block. Sound design, also by Eli Block. Special thanks to Professor David Keith. And if you like the show, please do subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you very much. It does help. And you can also find us on Twitter. We're at science underscore ish. Have they got massive mirrors in Geostorm as well?
1: No, I don't think they have. The massive mirrors... They is haven't the even got time. aerosols spraying into the stratosphere. Useless. I Absolutely mean, Gerard... like I Gerard. Gerard Butler with a massive spray can full yeah. of calcium carbonate, just like spraying into
2: it wearing, wearing a suit made entirely
1: out of mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> is, and look, Geostorm 2. I'll tell you what, if Bruce Willis <laughs> had got that job, that's what it would have been. Yeah, it would have been sick, wouldn't it?